0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. Are you rolling with the Dubs against Dallas? Are you rolling with Boston over Miami? Are you rolling with the Avalanche now that Jordan Binghamton is gone for the St. Louis Blues? However and whenever you may be betting, BetOnline is the place to stop during the remainder of the basketball and hockey playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to get a 50% Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Oh, yeah, everybody. However and whenever it is you may be listening, Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the memes of the weekend podcast here on the take it easy podcast here on a Monday for the first time in like three Mondays or so. We're bringing back Memes of the Weekend, and I hope y'all are ready to have maybe a good laugh, maybe a good thought, maybe a good cry. Jim Valvano would like you to have all three in one day. Shout out to Jimmy V. Go watch us survive in advance, the 30 for 30, if you've never seen it before. One of my personal favorites, life-changing stuff. Bringing back Memes of the Weekend means we're going to have a Jimmy Garoppolo update here at some point. We're also going to talk about the worst trade in the history of the NFL that may have gone down within the last couple of years. What am I talking about? We'll find out in a sec. We begin today's podcast, though, with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And we'll talk about Warriors and Mavericks tomorrow a bit more. uh, For full disclaimer, we're recording this before the game three between the Warriors and Mavericks, although we have a Incredible game two that we still didn't cover because it happened on Friday. And the Warriors were down 19 points and Dallas was playing great. That was like really great basketball. Now, did I watch the really great basketball? No, I didn't. I had stuff to do on Friday. And at the same time, like box score watching afterwards, both teams shot over 50% from the field. Golden State was 50% from the three-point line. Like, this was pretty incredible basketball by all accounts and measures. Like, Steph Curry had 32-8-5 and and was 60% from three. Luka shot 50% from three. 50% from the field had 42 points. Like, both these teams played amazing basketball. And when they got to the free-throw line a bunch, like, this seemed to be really, really good basketball. And the Warriors end up winning, which I think is as simple as not just like people will point to championship pedigree on that. I think beyond that, the Golden State Warriors just have more options than the Dallas Mavericks, where the, the Mavericks have a lot of volume scorers or guys who can be volume or at least Jalen Brunson, who's a volume scorer, and maybe Dinwiddie, who can be a volume scorer more than just a really good shooter. Um, but those guys aren't the same level of reliability as even Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins, who so I know Andrew Wiggins hasn't been great for Golden State, but he, he had twelve points in the first half of game one. He finished with sixteen points and hit sixty percent of his threes in game two. It's just it's more reliable options, and when the offense runs through Luca and Luca's on, you can you saw what happened in the first half. They were up like 19 points in that game. And Golden State had 21 from Kevon Looney as a big man who, since they moved Looney to the starting lineup, it's like they play a more balanced attack and somehow that makes the Warriors offense more of a, you know, solid function with Poole coming off the bench but still playing more minutes than... Pretty Well, I guess Poole doesn't play as many minutes as Wiggins, but like plays as many minutes as uh, Kavon Looney and Draymond Green. It's really interesting how they, how they work that into their offense. And obviously, when three different Warriors are scoring 20 points and five Warriors are scoring 15, it's really, really hard to beat them. So yeah, that, that game was really, really fun, according to all of the statistics and highlights, and I wish I could have watched it. So we'll talk more about that. After Game 3, we'll do it on Tuesday. What I wanted to talk about here with the Miami and Boston series is kind of the Jimmy Butler injury stuff. And this is less memes of the weekend-y than the other topics that we're going to talk about today. I'm interested because Jimmy Butler is now playing with a knee injury. He went out in Game 3, and Boston almost came back in the game. It felt like Boston was right there with a chance to win it, similar to how, like... Do, I'm doing a story on Kawhi Leonard that may or may not turn into a podcast series that you'll hear later on this show. People kind of remember in 2017 when Kawhi Leonard got injured by Zaza Pachulia and it changed the rules about giving a landing zone to shooters. When that happened, the Spurs were up 25 points at halftime. And it was early or it was mid second quarter when Kawhi Leonard got hurt and they were already up 25 in a game one against a Warriors team that I don't think had lost the entire postseason up until that point. I think the Warriors were 8-0 and would end up sweeping the Spurs and be 12-0 and and then I think they lost the last game before going 16-0 but they ended up going 16-1 which was similar to what the the Lakers did back in 2001 where they were undefeated in the playoffs and then lost to Allen Iverson in you know one of the most, more famous games in the history of the NBA. And so the Golden State Warriors that year were down 25 and the comeback by the Warriors happened in like a quarter and it was Golden State beating the Spurs, and effectively ending that series. And while Jimmy Butler's injury isn't one that seems to be holding him out, I can only assume that if Jimmy Butler didn't come back into that basketball game yesterday, that Jimmy Butler's going to be significantly hobbled two days from now. And not that Jimmy Butler can't put up amazing performances, like Giannis had to sit two games in the conference finals last year against the Hawks, came out in the finals and averaged like 37 and 10 like it's not like this is the end-all be-all now Jimmy Butler's game is more predicated on athleticism and Jimmy Butler's game I mean he's not I don't think he's even on the injury report right now but Jimmy Butler's game is predicated on abilities to move laterally and if your knee's injured that's going to stink a little bit more but watching Boston come back in that basketball game still never felt like Boston was ever like in jeopardy of taking the game from the Miami Heat and maybe that's just because they were so far ahead early on in the game that it felt like even a Boston comeback wasn't and they never took the lead in the game so it felt like a Boston comeback was just simply insurmountable even as you're watching it though Miami is just Dominating on the offensive side of the ball, and specifically, Bam Adebayo is just dominating the same way people yelled about Kevon Looney. I saw a fun tweet that was like, Would you rather have Bam Adebayo at 30 million or Kevon Looney at 6 million? Which is a funny game to play, and at the same time, Kevon Looney and Bam Adebayo both put up similar statistics in game twos where you know they were major parts in their team's victory, and so. Bama Bayo had, at halftime, 20 points, shooting 8 for 12 from the field. He finished the game with 22 shots. And the thing that we said back in the second round series is like, Bama Bayo is shooting his averages. He's just only taking 9 shots a game. In those two losses, I can try and find the, the stats again. In those two losses to the 76ers... Bam Adebayo, I believe, was 9-for-19 or 7-for-17. It was one of those two numbers. It was either 7-for-17 or 9-for-19. The more shocking thing being, like, he was the fourth leading shooter on the Miami Heat when most of us regard Bam Adebayo as one of the best two-way players in the NBA in terms of, like, plays defense really, really well and plays offense really, really well. Like, he's a second or third go-to scoring option and... A top 15 defender in the NBA, who in 2020 we saw like stop Giannis Antetokounmpo in games one and game two in the bubble before Giannis got hurt. And Bam Adebayo is the guy who played great defense against the Celtics during that Finals run, and then he gets hurt. And then Jimmy Butler carries them to one victory, but there's really not much of a chance for the Miami Heat. Point still being, as much as we love Tyler Hero, or people may love Tyler Hero, who again was shooting 27% from three point line. In the playoffs, before the first two game, before game one against the Celtics, and then yesterday shot 0 for 6 from the three point line, and was like part of the reason the game was closer than it was. Even though Miami was up 27 points at one point in the game, like the reason the game was so close was because Tyler Hero filled in for Jimmy Butler and shot 0 for 6 from three and 4 for 15 from the field and didn't even get to the free throw line one time in the entire game so what's interesting about the heat in that way is like bam out is regarded as this top scoring option and he took 22 shots which is the thing that is more important for miami is not that bam doesn't take that bam takes more shots even if bam doesn't make more shots because the way that we think of the 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 memphis grizzlies the shortcoming of the Memphis Grizzlies is that they don't have a go-to second scoring option behind John Morant. We saw that um, once John Morant went out against the Golden State Warriors, was Tyus Jones was a leading scorer. Kyle Anderson was a leading scorer for one of the games that they lost. At the end, the Warriors got ten consecutive free throws, and that was the end of the game because there was no way to generate offense for the the Memphis Grizzlies. And they're a really strong defensive team. Jaren Jackson's one of the best defensive players in the league. If Jaron Jackson was the type of offensive player that Bam Adebayo is, we'd regard Jaron Jackson as a perennial all-star and a second-best player on a team that could theoretically sneak its way to the championship. And I think that's the difference right now in Bam Adebayo's game is that we know he has the ability to score over even good defenders, like being guarded by Daniel Tice, being guarded by Grant Williams, guarded by Joel Embiid. He has the ability to score even on good defenders. It's not going to be all the time, and it's not going to be like as good as the best of the best players. And it's not going to be as good as Kevin Durant. It's not going to be as good as Jason Tatum. It's not even going to be as good as Joel Embiid, and it's not going to be as good as even Jimmy Butler in terms of being able to get his own shot. It's the same purgatory that you find DeAndre Ayton in with the Phoenix Suns, which is the threat is that you take a lot of short shots. The, the threat is that you post up guys or you face up to the basket and get to the rim. That's the threat of Bam Adebayo. And every now and then he'll give you 30 and 10. The same way in that game six last year against the Miami, uh, uh, or Sorry, game six in the bubble against the Boston Celtics. He put up 35 and 12, I want to say. I called it 30 and 10. If I remember correctly, I think it was like 35 and 12 to close out the Boston Celtics in the bubble. And that threat of a second go-to scorer is really going to help the Miami Heat as they go along. And if Jimmy Butler is going to be a lesser version of himself, or even if Jimmy Butler is going to be a guy who can still give you 30 points but by taking whatever it is, Jimmy Butler by virtue, if Jimmy Butler takes 20 shots every single game, he will get you 30 points. And that's the type of offense you want to run through. Cause Jimmy Butler is good at getting to the free throw line. Jimmy Butler is good at hitting mid range shots. Even if you want to run that offense through him, if him and bam, take those kinds of shots and then make Tyler hero, A guy who hits three pointers based on the offense that's created there, or let PJ Tucker sit in the corner and hit three pointers like he did when Jimmy Butler went out. Because I mean, PJ Tucker, we don't talk about how important he was in that in Milwaukee's championship last year, just because he's amazing at the corner three pointer, which is the most efficient of the three pointers. And if he just sits there and buries those shots, it's an incredible, incredible asset. And it felt like that was going to be something that mattered a whole lot. Once we got to the playoffs because it felt like Miami was the second round exit team that was going to be playing a lot of second round exit teams like Philadelphia, like what would end up becoming Boston and PJ Tucker didn't have the same effects in game one or game two. When Jimmy Butler went out, it's a great option to have, and and Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler create those opportunities, and Kyle Lowry's going to be a distributor guy, and Max Struess is going to do X, Y, and Z, and all of that stuff. It's really interesting to see how the Miami Heat build that offense when you have that option of Bam Adebayo around, and just taking 22 shots is more important. He's not going to hit it every time, and like... Drew Holiday, for example, we talked about it with the Bucks. Like when Middleton went down, Drew Holiday became the guy who took 20 shots a game. You don't want Drew Holiday to do that because Drew Holiday is not that kind of offensive player. Bam Adebayo, we have the the four year sample size to reflect that Bam Adebayo can be that offensive player who scores even on the best defenders in the NBA because he's long and tall and really good at posting up and front facing people the way. We used to think of Anthony Davis before everyone started shitting on Anthony Davis because he gets hurt all the time. The way we think of Anthony Davis is that he can beat you in four different ways offensively. And he can even kind of beat you with the three-pointer every now and then. But he can beat you with the lob, he can beat you facing up, he can beat you in the post, and he can beat you in the mid-range. Anthony Davis got worse at the mid-range, but still. like He can beat you in all these different ways. Bam Adebayo can do like three of the five things as a center, and that makes him good enough to be... A legitimate guy to, to threaten going for 30 and 10 as long as he gets 20 shots or gets 22 shots and gets to the free throw line a little bit more than he did even in game three so I'm interested that Bam Adebayo took over after Jimmy went down and yeah they were up kind of big at that point a big reason they were up big by that point was because of how awesome Bam Adebayo was early in the game I think he had like 16 points early in the second quarter and finished with 31 even though he only got to the free throw line once in the entire game and didn't hit a single three-point shot for the Boston Celtics standpoint Jason Tatum talked about the unacceptable performance hey they almost won the game anyways like Marcus Smart got hurt and came back and he had 16 points. Horford had 20 points shooting 50% from the field, three for five from three. Jalen Brown's the first player in the playoff era to hit 40 plus points and make every single one of his two point jumpers. Like Jason Tatum can have a bad game if Jalen Brown's cooking the way Jalen Brown's cooking. And it's the same idea for Jason Tatum is when he's not on, he defers to other people. I say ride or die in that situation, but if Jalen Brown's hitting shots, let Jalen Brown keep taking shots. Um, It's difficult because at the end of the games, you want to get your best player involved because over a larger sample size, Jason Tatum will win you more games if he's taking the shots at the end. The, The ride the hot hand thing isn't really the most efficient strategy. It sometimes pays out. It's also if you stick to the strategy of... Larger and obviously one game or two games or seven game sample sizes you have to adjust in order to advance if you really subscribe to game theory is that if you choose your best player more often than not it's going to work out and in that situation Boston went with Jalen Brown it, can, it would have won the game had they just not been down astronomically large numbers in the first half it's interesting how defer like Tatum took as many shots as Al Horford and Tatum took six or took like four more shots than Marcus Smart and just cuz he wasn't hitting shots doesn't mean like Jason Tatum's a bad player or nothing like that it just it happens it happens and maybe they they feel like they missed an opportunity i feel like they they were going to lose even if Jason Tatum had an efficient game it, I think that's just the the banter of game to game, and we'll forget about it because it's not that important. How big of a game Jason Tatum had in game three? Because it's gonna happen to everyone. Averages work that way, where Tatum's gonna in game two shoot sixty percent from the field. Well, eventually that's gonna have to average out with a twenty percent game. It's gonna happen. Jalen Brown picked up the slack as a number two, similar to how Chris Middleton has gone for forty point games. But the difference there is that. When Chris Middleton goes for 40-point games, Giannis still gets 25 and 15, and we call it like a below-average game for Giannis. And this was the part that everyone—I mean, I was wrong before because I thought Jason Tatum was a fully-formed player. Like, Jason Tatum can get better with age and more consistently have the floor not bottom out the way like Devin Booker's floor bottomed out in Game 7— Or the way Donovan Mitchell's floor bottomed out in that game where Jalen Brunson had 25 points and was the leading scorer and the Jazz still lost, I think it was game three of that series. Like The floor not being as low is the thing that we separate superstars with because then you can rely on Giannis to always find a way to get you 25 points, for Kawhi to always get you 25 points. Sometimes the floor is going to bottom out, and that's totally okay. It's not an indictment of Jason Tatum as a superstar at all. It's just the back and forth and back and forth that we do every single week. I still think this series is going to go to seven games. Feels pre- I mean, I, I if you heard the preview we did last week, like I just flipped a coin and said, Ah, whatever, Celtics. You know, it, it, it's literally going to come down to a Game Seven that I have no idea what's going to happen in. So and all the games have been blowouts so far, which suggests both these teams are reliant on shooting, and both these teams are really reliant on, um, they're they're reliant on shooting, and the scores can fluctuate quite dramatically, regardless of home court advantage, or whatever you want to call it, just because who makes more shots, and who plays better defense on a given day, seems to be what determines this series, and I know it's dumb and simplistic analysis, but like, It's kind of as simple as that sometimes, especially when they don't have a definitive superstar player on either or I'm sorry, a definitive generational star on either team. Tatum and and Butler are superstars and can be the best players on championship teams. They don't have a definitive, like, this person is one of the fifteen greatest players in the history of the NBA, or even has a chance of being one of the 15 greatest players in the history of the NBA. And I don't do that all the way down, I think of it as generational superstars. So the generational superstars are Giannis from the past generation, KD Steph, the generation before, LeBron, Luca. Very, very good players next in line, just not quite the level of superstar that the Celtics vanquished in the last two series. And that's totally okay. It doesn't mean that either of these teams are fluky or not worthy, like it just means Series is going to be kind of weird and sometimes come down to the the cliche make or miss league situation and the injury to Jimmy Butler, which could change the outcome of the series, but probably not. The Heat only have to win two out of five games. I think they could do that even without Jimmy Butler. And it's crazy to say, I still think it's doable just because Boston doesn't have the same type of, we are going to eliminate, I mean, even after Jimmy Butler went out, like Boston came back in the game, and they they had their shortcomings at the end, and that's totally okay, I think that Miami can sneak a victory in this series, even if Jimmy Butler isn't the same caliber of player, it wouldn't, it would be weird if they did, I'm just saying it's possible, it's not like, oh, they don't have Jimmy Butler, they're gonna get blown out in the next three games, as valuable as Jimmy Butler is, they can still beat the Boston Celtics with that core of guys. At the very least, they can beat the Boston Celtics one time in the next four games to force a Game 7, which is just a one-game toss-up and anyone can win a game. A one-game sample size, anyone can win. Anyone can win a one-game sample size. It's completely random, and the results might be determined by Grant Williams taking 18 three-pointers, because that's the strategy that the Milwaukee Bucks select, like... Basically, at the very worst, Miami can win one out of four games without Jimmy Butler, and I think they will, and at the very least, that means we're getting a Game 7.
1: Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come, and seasons go, the Niners need a change, if you don't throw check downs you're gonna take a sack, Jimmy G is warming up, yeah he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it, interceptions drive us all insane, phones are calling, Ron Rivera wants to make a trade, if a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up, they got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G, now he's your quarterback.
0: All right. We have our memes of the weekend, Jimmy Garoppolo update here in May when there is literally nothing going on in the NFL and we all get to exhale and take a football break cuz everyone's taking a football break. We did promise about 2 months ago that every week we would come on this podcast and give you a Jimmy Garoppolo update because I find it absolutely hilarious. That the 49ers had so many chances to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo, and part of it now we know is because he had shoulder surgery and people don't want to pay $26 million for a quarterback coming off shoulder surgery except the Washington football team, and they decided if we're going to do a one-year stopgap quarterback, let's just do Carson Wentz instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, so... The 49ers might have to eat, for those who are checking in, Trey Lance is going to be the starter for the 49ers. The Niners might have to guarantee some of his money in order for him to get traded so that another team only has to pay him like 15 million to 20 million instead of 28 million. And uh, that's kind of the purgatory that both these teams find themselves in is Jimmy G doesn't have a trade partner where he can be a starter and the 49ers don't have a, place that we'll be willing to pay 28 million dollars and so the Niners and Jimmy G are kind of just stuck with each other I find it incredibly funny because that song that you heard a second ago was created back in February I thought I was only going to get to use it for a week it took three hours to make and we might as well just burn as much time out of that content as we can because I spent three hours making that To the very obscure song Weatherman, which is the theme song for the Groundhog Day 1993 movie starring Bill Murray. And it's really funny. And I wanted to just use it for uh, as many chances as I can to laugh at Jimmy Garoppolo. So I don't have any Garoppolo update in terms of his shoulder surgery or any Garoppolo updates in terms of when he's going to get traded. I do have a Garoppolo update on the fact that he has now appeared in not one, but two different Subway sandwich commercials. Because for those who don't know, Subway is now partnered with the NFL, and they're doing this giant ad campaign that, it, well, I guess the NBA too, because they have Charles Barkley and Steph Curry doing it, and Simone Biles has been in Subway commercials, and they have a bunch of NFL people now doing Subway commercials. It was Bill Belichick one time, it was Dion Sanders semi-recently. Subway has decided we're going to get into the football sports universe of advertising. And so they went for moderately white-faced Jimmy Garoppolo or I guess spicy white Jimmy Garoppolo in their advertising campaign. And any chance to look at Jimmy Garoppolo's face is right there. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the 10 most handsome quarterbacks and players in all of the NFL. The combination of jaw structure, facial uh, bone uh, cheek bone structure, jawline, hair General eyes gazing into your soul. Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the most handsome men in the NFL, and I totally understand that decision there. The fact that they got him for being the uh, spokesperson for the new Subway Italian with uh, a special type of cheese that I don't know what it is, but it's those little like circle cheese things. Anyways, so. They got Garoppolo to do this as like advertising their Italian. Well, let's go get Italian quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo to be on, in our commercial. One of them they got his grandma, or at least they say it's his grandma. I'm not sure if it's his actual grandma or an actress playing his grandma, but they got Garoppolo's grandma, his Italian grandmother in a subway commercial talking about the new subway italian collection and i thought it was really funny because i'm like i guess jimmy garoppolo is like famous now because football players are famous and the san francisco 49ers have the same kind of appeal as the dallas cowboys and like they have a really large fan base and a really diverse fan base and so the 49ers have fans all over the place it's not like jimmy garoppolo's Excellence at quarterback play is meriting a commercial. The way that, like, well, no, this is a shitty example too, because the person I keep seeing in all the commercials is whiteface Matthew Stafford, who is it like been in an AT and T commercial that, besides the Steph Curry FTX crypto commercial, has been the most advertised commercial anywhere during the NBA playoffs. Is Matthew Stafford? If you don't know the Matthew Stafford AT and T commercial. It's really obnoxious and really forced because it's like you can trade in your old phone that you had for 12 years, loved every minute of, and get something new. Ha ha ha, just like me, Matthew Stafford, champion quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams, even though I'm barely one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I'm also the one who's white. And the champion quarterback. I stole all of Joe Burrow's commercials. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that worked out? I'm Matthew Stafford. And I stole all of the commercials. Joe Burrow was supposed to be in this offseason. that's really, really funny. And so I, I think it's interesting that Matthew Stafford. Jimmy Garoppolo gets to be the, the NFL spokesperson as a quarterback. Because um, he's spicy white. And uh, has an Italian grandmother from Chicago. And uh, immigrant mentality and whatever else you talk about with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, third generation American, uh, but he's spicy white and he gets to be in a subway, multiple subway sandwiches commercials on national television. I thought that was really funny. I think the breakdown of him doing... The, doing a breakdown on a chalkboard was also kind of weird. Anyways, I just made seven minutes out of Jimmy Garoppolo being in a Subway commercial as our update for the week on Garoppolo. And a chance to play this song, because again, I spent three hours making it back in February.
1: Garoppolo Drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it, interceptions drive us all insane, phones are calling, Ron Rivera wants to make a trade, if a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up, they got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games, that don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G, now he's your quarterback.
0: So today I would like to revisit one of the worst trades in the history of the NFL. And some of you listening to this fine, take it easy podcast, either on YouTube or on the podcast feed them itself may remember that about a year ago, we did a podcast about this very trade and how it had the potential to be one of the worst trades in the history of the NFL. I think now we're pretty close to calling it, given how this has all panned out over the past year. I think we can call this, at the very least, the worst trade of the last 20 years in the NFL. Because it's hard to beat the Herschel Walker trade. The Herschel Walker trade from the the Dallas Cowboys to the Minnesota Vikings changed the entire way that we think about value in the NFL and draft pick compensation and all kinds of... And running backs. Like, it... Changed the NFL in a unique way that doesn't really exist in other sports because Jimmy Johnson was ahead of the game in terms of figuring out value and identifying talent through the draft and worked in a deal where if he cut the players who he traded for, he would get extra draft picks, etc., etc. So maybe that one in terms of like its value to the history of the sport in terms of pure trades of superstar caliber players which does not happen very often in the NFL between like 2000 and 2015 you never saw superstars get traded in the NFL and then the values began to change and teams had uh, gave up larger draft compensation for stars and franchise tags didn't have the same worth and quarterback markets exploded and now wide receiver markets have exploded and multiple people are getting traded left and right And DeAndre Hopkins gets traded for a second round pick and a bad contract and all of a sudden now, you have more trades than there's been in, in years past. And even the Khalil Mack trade, which was the basically the two first-round picks and a second... or Khalil Mack and a second-round pick for two first-rounders and a fourth, it didn't turn out great for the Raiders. They still got Josh Jacobs, a Pro Bowl running back, in exchange for Khalil Mack, who has not aged great in the years since. And so... Last week on the podcast, we talked about Juan Soto and the possibility of that being a record type of trade, which could require the biggest haul in the history of the sport. And this trade in the NFL was a similar type of situation. It was a star player in his 20s who got traded in, in what we would consider the prime of most football players at the end of three years or four or three years plus a few weeks and he's 24 years old and would go on to get a record-setting deal and win a Super Bowl. I'm talking about the Jalen Ramsey trade. I'm talking about Jalen Ramsey being traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Los Angeles Rams, which, if you're picking two franchises to say this might be the worst trade in the history of the NFL, where the Jacksonville Jaguars have had the number one pick for back-to-back seasons, and the Los Angeles Rams win a championship, I know it's easy pickings right now to point to. But I want to really dive into the details of this because this is a really, really bad trade. And it wasn't regarded as a really, really bad trade back in 2019 when Ramsey got traded in the middle of the season right before the trade deadline. So first, let's put some context together on this story. Jalen Ramsey was taken in 2016 with the number five pick in the NFL draft. And he was a corner. From Florida State, five-star recruit, regarded as one of the best players in all of college football, and just, you know, uniquely gifted and talented. He was in the recruiting class after Florida State won the championship in 2013 this was still when Jimbo Fisher was there and the program still had a semblance of respect this actually we did uh, an oral history of Florida State football about eight months ago and we included this season as the beginning of the fall for Florida State was during this season they were ranked number two in the country. During Ramsey's junior season and they got absolutely obliterated by Lamar Jackson and after that everything started going south for old Florida State. So Ramsey leaves Florida State after that season he goes to the NFL draft and Ramsey because he's a corner from Florida State who's a five-star recruit top five pick in the class it's easy to make the comparisons To Deion Sanders it was really easy to make that type of leap and say that this guy is a generational corner prospect and he went to the same school as Deion Sanders he was drafted at the same top of the draft as Deion Sanders had an outspokenness that reflected Deion Sanders in terms of like the way that people who don't actually know Deion Sanders think of Deion Sanders or whatever it might end up being it was really easy to make that leap with Jalen Ramsey, especially when the Jaguars experienced immediate success with Jalen Ramsey. In Ramsey's second season in the NFL... It was that year that the Jaguars had built a defense that was, you know, Saxonville, Duval County, whatever you want to call it. The Jaguars had like seven Pro Bowl players on that defense from Calais Campbell to Telvin Smith to Yannick Ngakwe to uh, all those guys down the line there. I, Miles Jack was on that team too. And AJ Baden Boyer, And they had so many great players on that defense. It was number one in the NFL for most of the season and they had Blake Bortles at quarterback and were eight minutes away from going to the Super Bowl, possibly to win the Super Bowl because that was the year that the Eagles played the Patriots. They were up 11 points on the Patriots with eight minutes left to go in the conference championship game for a team that hadn't made the playoffs in like eight years for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so the Jaguars got close in large part because... Jalen Ramsey was only making about $5 million a year. And we've learned that the best way to win is to get really great players on rookie contracts because the salaries are fixed, especially at the quarterback position and, and positions where the largest contracts can sometimes make up 20% of the salary cap. I don't agree with the salary cap. It's just the system that exists. And so Jalen Ramsey, the, the value that they got on Jalen Ramsey being the best corner in the NFL at twenty-two years old, only making five million dollars, helped the Jaguars be able to get a Calais Campbell here, be able to sign Miles Jack to a big contract. They had Unique and Gawkway on a rookie deal as well. And so the Jaguars got this value on defense, and even though they had like wasted tons of draft picks in years past, and Blake Bortles was their quarterback and their their offense was entirely predicated on Leonard Fournette, who, as great as Leonard Fournette was for the Jaguars during that one seat, well, that first season he was a rookie with the Jaguars, and it changed their offense. He was drafted right before Christian McCaffrey, around before Dalvin Cook, around before Alvin Kamara. like it was it was not great the the guy that they picked in the draft, and yet it was still good enough to get them eight minutes away from the Super Bowl. And so after that happens, Ramsey, who uh, is one of the best corners in the NFL at this point. Jalen Ramsey, is at this point a an all-pro football player he's in it i mean again second year in the nfl he's making all pro teams at 22 23 years old Um, jalen ramsey in 2017 made his first pro bowl and all pro and would make the pro bowl every single year for the next five years and that includes up to this season ramsey is 23 years old and the best corner in the entire nfl and he was first-team All-Pro that season as well. And then 2018 happens where the Jaguars realize, yeah, the problem was that we we got incredibly lucky and Blake Bortles is a shitty quarterback who we could hide for pretty much the entire postseason and regular season. And then Blake Bortles got benched for Cody Kessler in 2018 and the Jaguars finished 5-11 and and everything was falling apart in Jacksville. Calais Campbell would leave. The team that Yannick Ngakwe was demanding a trade. Telvin Smith got arrested for some really gross stuff. If you want to Google that, you can go ahead there. Bad and Boye left as the second corner. And everything just fell apart so quickly for Jacksonville in a way that I thought was unprecedented until the Houston Texans dismantled a championship team in like six months and then put themselves like in a five-year rebuild because they traded all their draft picks, three generational stars, and Deshaun Watson demanded a trade before being accused of sexual crimes all over the place. And so what you're looking at for the Jacksonville Jaguars is everything is falling apart and they have this one incredibly valuable piece of Jalen Ramsey who isn't playing at the same level that Jalen Ramsey played at in 2017 because... The Jaguars were a dumpster fire, and Jalen Ramsey was looking for a contract. And so Jalen Ramsey still made a Pro Bowl, but didn't make an all-pro team because Jalen Ramsey was regarded as one of the five best corners in the NFL. And sometimes we just write in Pro Bowl nods there. But it wasn't the same type of Ramsey in 2017. Still regarded as one of the best in the NFL, and felt like the way that you feel with Jaguars guys where their time is just being wasted away and so Ramsey has the famous um 20 and Ramsey by the way is looking for a contract into his third season at this point point. and so Ramsey shows up to training camp in 2019 with the famous Brinks truck and uh I, I can't I think it was an Adidas sponsored Brinks truck which was kind of funny but he, the person has the megaphone and Ramsey comes out of the Brinks truck and it's really funny and he's trying to use his voice the same way like when they went to the championship and they the conference championship, and they went to back to Jacksonville, he's like, "And we're gonna beat the Patriots, and we're gonna go to the Super Bowl, and we're gonna win that shit." And Ramsey, being someone who you know gets in fights with AJ Green and all that stuff, that like using your mouth and your popularity as a way to get back at people, Ramsey was fitting into a stereotype that people wanted to believe was true about the corner. When in reality, Jalen Ramsey was the best corner in the NFL from age 23 onward. And it was generationally gifted, immediately gets to the NFL, immediately starts producing with a defense that was tops in the league, in large part because he was there. It was, this guy is Hall of Fame caliber good from the second he steps on the field. And it was seen in 2016 as a rookie when he fought A.J. Green and 2017. It all came together for a Jaguars team. And by 2019, it's like, this is your peak earning potential And you play for an organization where you have to take a premium to play for them. We saw Christian Kerr, I call it the Jaguars tax. It's like the Jaguars were clearly getting ready to tear it all to the ground. They had just traded Calais Campbell for nothing. They had let guys walk in free agency. They drafted Josh Allen as an edge rusher. They were in contract fights with Ngakwe. Talvin Smith got arrested. They, They let A.J. Boye walk in free agency. Like, they tore... Everything to the ground from the 2017 team simply because they've just effed up the offense so bad and the defense didn't play to the same level in 2018 and that disappointment is like, okay, guess it's over. And they ended up trading Jalen Ramsey. And it wasn't shocking that Jalen Ramsey got traded. It was like the same thing that was shocking with Jamal Adams where it felt like this is the type of player, even if you don't win you build around for the next 10 years of your organization. And the cornerback position doesn't get the same kind of value. I we say all the time like there's 15 players that really change values in the NFL and like 10 of them are quarterbacks. So we call them like the superstar caliber players that like by virtue of having these people you're going to be competitive against the people you're going to beat the people who don't have those types of game-changing players. And I'd argue Jalen Ramsey is the one cornerback that you can say changes the game simply by their presence on the football field. It's nitpicking a little bit. It's like saying Devonte Adams game changes simply by being on the field. The position they play decreases value. It's indisputable that at this point and beyond Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the NFL. And he got traded for what would be the, and by the way, this was the year that Gardner Minshew was the quarterbacking the Jacksonville Jaguars because they had cut Blake Bortles and they signed Nick Foles for $20 million and Nick Foles broke his shoulder the first game of the season and the season was already awash because it wasn't a great idea to sign Nick Foles in the first place and so they had Gardner Minshew play quarterback and he had that fun Thursday night game against the Titans, which, fun fact, that was when I was uh moving into college that weekend was the first magical Gardner Minshew Titans game and... They traded Jalen Ramsey in October, right before the trade deadline of 2019. And what they got in return was two first round picks from the Rams and a fourth round pick for Jalen Ramsey. And that fourth round pick turned into an edge rusher who I don't believe is still on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I forgot what his name is now. It's, It's a player who didn't, I don't believe still plays for Jacksonville. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure doesn't play for the Jaguars anymore. And, you know, most fourth-round picks are kind of throw-in sometimes. You're hoping you get lucky on one of those guys. So the Jaguars got two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. And you can add in the value that they got from that year's draft pick. So by trading Jalen Ramsey, you're getting worse as a team. And while there's no exact way to pin down exactly how many draft picks they saved by trading Jalen Ramsey... The Jaguars were 4-4 four and four prior to Jalen Ramsey's trade, and after trading Jalen Ramsey, they finished the season 2-6. and six. So there's no way to calculate which part of that had something to do with the Ramsey trade, but ultimately they finish worse in the second half of the season after they trade Ramsey, and so potentially if you move up shall we say 10 picks in the draft order because say they go eight and eight that year they would have been about that spot in the draft order if you go six and ten instead of eight and eight you save the equivalent of like a second and a third round pick because the best value we can find with that is like when the bears and the giants made a trade in 2021 draft for justin fields they had to give up a first round pick and they got a fifth round pick in return. So it was like moving from 11 to 21. That was a 10 spot swap, 10 spot swap. And it got them a, a first round pick. And then on the flip side, When Jamison Williams got traded this year from pick 32 to pick 12, a 20 pick jump, it was a second round swap and a third rounder. So like you get the value of an extra second round pick potentially by moving up some spots in the draft. So you could call it two firsts, a second, and a fourth, or even three firsts for Jalen Ramsey because you get the two first rounders that they got from the Rams, plus you move up 10 spots in the draft from the year that you tank. So I'm going to count the Jaguars' own pick in 2019, in 2020's draft as compensation in this trade. Now, does it help out the cause of this? Yes, it also feels fair because that's the compensation that the Jaguars did get in exchange for Jalen Ramsey. The reason I throw that one in is with the first pick of the quote-unquote rebuild post-Jalen Ramsey, the Jaguars selected a corner with the ninth pick in the draft, and that corner was C.J. Henderson. And for those who don't know, C.J. Henderson got hurt during the COVID season of 2020, came back in 2021, and at the trade deadline in 2021 with a new general manager and a new regime, got traded to the Carolina Panthers for Dan Arnold and a third-round pick. So not the greatest trade in the world for, or not the greatest pick in the world a top 10 pick that turned into Dan Arnold and a third-round pick which ultimately, I think that third round pick, if I if I remember correctly, I don't think it's, maybe it has been used at this point, but the point still stands, they did not get adequate compensation in exchange for CJ Anderson, because they would have rather the top 10 pick be a solid contributor for years and years to come, and a just brutal loss for the Jacksonville Jaguars there, because... That was supposed to be a pick that turned into something really good for them, and it did not. By the way, that pick became Chad Muma, the linebacker from Wyoming. So we'll see if Chad Muma turns into anything. But basically, they traded C.J. Henderson for Chad Muma, the third-round pick, this year, and Dan Arnold, when he was a top-ten pick in the NFL draft, who they got in part because they traded Jalen Ramsey. So it didn't work out well there. They also got the Rams' first-round pick in 2020. The Rams traded, or the Rams didn't make the playoffs, so it was pick 20, and they drafted Clavon Chason with the 20th pick in the NFL draft. And for people who don't know, Clavon Chason is the worst pick of the entire 2020 NFL draft in terms of like what you could call the biggest bust out there. He has played in 11, or I'm sorry, he's played in Pretty much every game, but he's only started 11 games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Reminder, this is the Jacksonville Jaguars team that did not, had the worst record in the NFL over the last two seasons. Like, this team had no talent on the team, and... The Jaguars, he couldn't start on the 2020 Jaguars or the 2021 Jacksonville Jaguars. He started only three games in 2020, even though he played the entire season under Doug Marone. Last year, he started 15 games or played 15 games and only got to start in eight of the games and had a total of 29 tackles, which is basically backup linebacker numbers. Some people get 29 tackles in a single game in the greatest football or two games. People get 29 tackles in two games in the NFL, and Chason had 29 his entire second season in the NFL. It is regarded as the biggest bust of the 2020 NFL draft. And so the next year, 2021, they get the Rams' first-round pick, and that turns into Travis Etienne who missed all of last season with an injury drafted by Urban Meyer, despite the fact that they already had James Robinson making $900,000 a year, and ETN didn't even get to play a single football game last year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And maybe Travis ETN turns into this amazing running back and it changes all of the math around this trade. Odds are, a running back who wasn't really regarded as a first-round talent in the first place. Some people had him as a first-round grade. Uh, uh, that, t- that running back getting hurt in his rookie season, I'm going to bet the odds that it's not going to be a game-changing type of move for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jaguars have gotten literally no contribution from any of their players acquired in the Jalen Ramsey trade. And in the two years since Ramsey got traded, the, the two full seasons, because he played half a season with the Rams and got $100 million on a contract, Jalen Ramsey has made first-team All-Pro in 2020, first-team All-Pro in 2021, Pro Bowl starter in both of those seasons. Jalen Ramsey looks like a, a, the best wide, the best corner in the NFL that he is and a game-changing talent on a Rams defense that last year was barely top 10 in the NFL despite the fact that they had the best interior edge rusher in the history of the NFL as long as I've been alive and the best cornerback I've seen in the NFL during the last five seasons. So they have the best corner and the best interior edge rusher in the NFL and the Rams won a Super Bowl in large part because of their offense and their defense was barely top 10 despite having those guys last year. So it's really interesting how the Rams made that math work. At the end of the day, the Jaguars have now had the number one pick in back-to-back seasons, and the argument can be made that like by virtue of trading Ramsey, you also get Trevor Lawrence because you're bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence, and I've made that argument for years around the Jaguars, the only direct compensation you can draw from the Ramsey trade is getting C.J. Henderson in the year that you traded him because you became appreciably worse after trading Jalen Ramsey. And while we can't cause correlate the Ramsey trade to that, we can at least say they could have gotten someone else in the 2020 draft instead of CJ Henderson. Trading Jalen Ramsey also opened up the need for corner in getting CJ Henderson. CJ Henderson, no longer on the team, acquired for Dan Arnold and Chad Muma and Clavon Chason who is a, already looking like one of the biggest busts, or I'm sorry, the biggest bust of the 2020 NFL draft because he never even like got to start for the Jaguars other than a few games in 2020 and 2021 on a team that had no talent, and Travis Etienne, who hasn't played for the Jaguars. Worst trade in NFL history? Possibly. Maybe the Jaguars find a way to work it all out because if you're bad for long enough, eventually you're going to get talented players. The Jaguars got what was regarded as a large draft pick haul for Jalen Ramsey and they botched every single pick. It's going to go down as one of the worst trades in NFL history. And I'm here to declare it possibly the worst one in the last 20 years of NFL football. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the memes of the weekend podcast podcast. Here on the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes coming at you all week this week. More NBA basketball coverage, more. Football talk, maybe, maybe baseball talk. Uh, we're going to have some of our friends back on the show. Old friends, new friends, people who really know their stuff around sports. Eh, just just stay tuned, okay? Just stay tuned. If you want to listen to some more podcast episodes, we had a fun one on Friday. We talked to LeGarrette Blunt last week, our friend. Uh, you can check that episode out down a little bit in there. It's the second time coming on the show. Chris Cluey was on the show. Bob Nightingale was on the show. We had a great, great week of guests, and I think you all will continue to enjoy them. In the meantime, everybody, make sure to download, leave a five-star review, all that fun stuff. If you want some more oral history type of stuff, we've also got those coming up at some point here. Um, Yeah, we're working on some cool stuff. I'm getting ready to graduate college. It's very fun. Take it easy, everybody. Talk to you again tomorrow.